We are uh, calling this series, The King is Coming, to get excited for the reality that we can say that because Christmas is a reminder that he came, but he left some things for us to be working on in preparation for him to come again. And we're going to do this in four main topics. So we're going to look at the the classic uh, traditional topics of Advent, which are hope, love, peace, and joy. So each week we'll, we'll look at a different theme of the expectation of the coming King and what he brings into our life as we receive him in our hearts and our minds and ultimately what he'll bring into the world in his second coming. So I am kicking all this off with maybe the one that sets the table for everything else. This is like the Christmas tree of the themes. This is the one that you set in the middle if you do that. Uh, it's, it's hope. Without hope, you don't make any preparation. Without hope, you're not excited for what's coming. Hope is a commitment to say, there is something I believe in that isn't here yet. That's what hope is saying. And we are people that, as we'll look at the word today, are supposed to be radically set apart by our hope in what is coming. And we're going to look at that in, in, a, in a passage of Scripture that is the best for our theme and the topic of the morning, which is in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to just point out three verses from Isaiah, starting in chapter 9. And um, if, you, if you have your Bible there, you can turn with me. We'll start in verse 2. So Isaiah, a prophet, comes on the scene in the, in the time of the nation of Israel that didn't look real great. And I'm grateful for the context of this because as we read through the proclamation that Isaiah is going to give to God's people then, we're going to see some parallels for the way that we're proclaiming for God's people now. It says in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So in Isaiah's day, he comes on the scene as God has this plan to set aside a nation for himself. He would be their God and they would be his people. And by that relationship, all of the other nations would see something really unique about them. And so God gave them a land. He gave them uh, blessings and he protected them. And over the years, just as often is the case in the story of God, all of the blessings actually turn into burdens. Because in their prosperity and in their growth and in, in, their, in, their, in their riches of their nation, they take their eyes off of God and they start looking around. And really the story of the nation of Israel is a story of a slow drift away from the goodness of God. And Isaiah comes on the scene and he's describing a dark time. And it's particularly dark because at this moment in their history, uh, if, you, if you're a nation of Israel, you're looking around and you're seeing other nations that are more powerful and they're rising up, and it appears as though it's only a matter of time before they invade and take over. And so there's not a lot of hope for their country. And like I said, I can't help but think of our time that we live in. We are a people that seem to have been especially blessed when you think about the, the history of the world and the way that, that nations have risen and, and eventually fallen. We, we seem to be on the riding a wave of great prosperity as a nation. And much of that is you, you, you look back and you can say that, that we had God's favor. We have a, a rich history of the church of God in our country. We, by, by all accounts, are a Christian nation. And yet, we seem to live in a very dark time. 
we seem to live in a time where there's not a lot of hope. Whether you're in the church or whether you're just visiting and, and you're in the world, you look around and it's like, what is happening? In fact, most people now that when they do the polls, most people say the country seems to be going in the wrong direction. And you guys probably have felt the, the pains of that in your own world. Uh, maybe even on Thursday this week, the topic of the country came up and it probably wasn't a real joyous conversation. And so we think about this because... We look at the passage of Scripture today, not just in the lens of a reason to, uh, to, to feel despair, the shadow of darkness or death, but we, we study it because God, in his goodness, in a time of great burden for his people, sent in a message. This is not the end of the story. And he gave the, the prophets as almost a light. In fact, classically, uh, people will light an Advent candle. And the first one for hope is often called the prophet's candle. Because the prophets come and they say, there's still a glimmer of light for this country. And the prophets at this time, and specifically Isaiah, comes in and says, the people in darkness are going to see a great light. And with this, there is just a small measure, but with great expectation, that this is the hope that they were waiting for. And this is really something that is interwoven into the story of God all throughout Scripture. It, it, God is good. People forget that. They find themselves in darkness. And then there's a glimmer of hope. There's something in the story of God where he is reminding his people all the time, you've got to be hopeful people because I'm not done with you. In fact, we see this in the New Testament. Uh, Peter's writing to a, a church that's going through persecution. They've given their life to God. They've accepted the free gift of his grace, the born-again spirit of Christ in them, and yet the, the world wants nothing to do with them. Peter says, you guys are going to be different. And so he actually takes some language from Isaiah, and he writes a letter to the first church, and this is what he says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That first word, sanctify your hearts for the Lord, essentially saying there's a lot of things that your heart can be given over to when you find yourself in that burdening season of life. When it seems dark and you see the news feed and the, 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 the dinner table's got tension and there's some missing people and relationships are strained and the word of the Lord comes and says, all the things that could burden your heart, I want you to set aside your heart for what God wants you to have. And God wants you to know that the story's not done and there's still hope. And it's going to be so radical in your life. If you really get this message, if you really believe in the God that continually sends this message of hope in times of darkness, Peter's going to say, get ready because you are going to look really weird to the world that you live in. In fact, I've kind of felt this verse over the last couple of years as one of the, the verses that I fall back on, because if you're a follower of Jesus today, and you have been for the last couple of years, and if the language of hope has been anywhere near your conversations, it is the most scandalous thing you can do in our times, is to be a hopeful person. The most, the, the most dangerous thing that you can do for our culture is to look at the news and to look at all of the circumstances that you can see with your eyes, and to look through it and say, you know what, I still believe that something good can happen. People look at you and say, what news are you reading? It's almost bothersome to the people of this world when the Christian hope rises up like the candle. It's almost like you need to get real 
You need to get rooted in reality because there's nothing to be hopeful about. We all need to be serious. It's time to get really sober about the world we live in, and we need to all do our part because hope isn't going to help us. And that's why, for this season, as we prepare our hearts and our minds, we are preparing to be set apart. We're saying, okay, God, it's been a crazy couple years, but we are going to be people who learn to trust in you with such hope that we're going to be scandalous about it. And so the title of our first sermon in our Advent is The Defense of Hope. And as we go through this promise that was given through the prophet Isaiah, I just want to, if you take nothing else from, from, from this sermon, I want to give you three axioms of truth about hope that we get from that candle that God will light in our hearts. One, that God is good. There's reason to be hopeful because God is good. Two, the end is glorious. And three, we're never going to give up. And number three, really isn't defense. It's more like offense. Like we are not stopping to, we're not going to stop believing in God, but sometimes offense is the best defense, right, Keith? We play soccer together. So we're going to start with each one of these, these, these little moments that we can take from Isaiah's truth. And I want to give a definition of hope for each one. It, the crazy thing about hope is that it's all over scripture. It's like God of hope comforts you in patient endurance in hope, the hope of glory, Christ in you. There's just this message of keep trusting God and be hopeful. And yet, as a preacher who's going to preach on hope and as people who, who know the word, it's sometimes hard to put your finger on what it's actually getting at. What do we mean by hope? So I want to give you three working definitions based off these truths that we take from Isaiah of what hope is, that you would just, as, as you go through this week and the end of this year and whatever God has in store for you, that you would hold on to these particular versions of hope. So number one, hope is this. Hope is confidence in the goodness of God. You become someone who... When you, you, you enter into the sanctuary and you're singing the praises of God and we open the word and you're listening and you're bringing not just your, your, your words and you're not just bringing your attendance, but you are bringing your hearts to build up your confidence in who he is and you are, in fact, building up the muscle of hope in your heart. And look what we get from Isaiah. We'll get our second verse now. Listen to what this says about the goodness of God infused with the message of hope. Verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is not proclaiming another king like all the other kings. He's saying there is a hope, there is a light that is coming into the world that is altogether different in its greatness. And it is God himself. You listen to the words on this page and think about what we believe about the goodness of God when we celebrate Christmas. Look what it says. Unto us a child is born. So you guys know the story of Christmas. How can you not see Isaiah 9 in the manger? And if you ever doubt the goodness of God in your life, pause and think about what Christmas is. Christmas is when we say God so loved the world that he gave his son to be born amongst men as a bondservant. Not simply to bring truth and example as a way to live, but to literally lay down his life so that you could have yours. God so loved the world, he gives his son so that you would not perish. Christmas is rooted in the goodness of God. And then it says, 
the government will be upon his shoulder. I think one of the reasons that hope seems to be at an all-time low in our country and around the dinner table is because our love of government seems to be at an odd all-time high. I have no idea how this happened because when I was a kid growing up in the 90s, my parents had a giant satellite dish in their backyard so that we could get cable and Eagle because this is before Eagle had TV reception. That's how long the you know, Eagle's changed a lot. Now it's like swanky, but then it was like, you live in Eagle? You can't watch TV out there. And on that satellite dish was C-SPAN. It was like the worst channel. It, all it was was government stuff. It was like, next, not that. And nobody watched that. And now everybody all day long is like, what's happening in government today? That's just the Twitter feed of government. Everyone's just addicted to all of the things that the, 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 the different rulers of Babylon are arguing about. And as our trust in the worldly government goes up, your hope will decrease because this idea of government, which God administers to administer justice, it has its role, but its role is not to save you. Its role is not to encourage your soul and to prepare you for eternity. It has a very limited role in its blessing in this world. And so when we say confidence in the goodness of God, we're confident in his government, in his kingdom, in the way that he administers justice and mercy to his people. You want to have an increase of hope, we must have a shift away from Babylon and back to Christ as the hope of what we are preparing our hearts for in this season. Then it says, his name will be called Wonderful and Counselor. Oh, what a beautiful promise of hope that the God of creation is coming as a wonderful counselor. And here's another reason that we can see a decline of the assurance of hope is because we live in a time where man wisdom is all-time high. It's like everybody's got a counselor and a therapist and a psychologist and a, psychi a psychiatric help. Everybody's got counsel. But it seems to be everything but the counsel of God. Again, there is hope in the word of God's wisdom. When you live your life according to your design and according to how God created you, you will live your life under the flow of his blessings. And when he is your counselor, when his word is guiding your life, you have hope. Because it tells us not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust in him, and he directs our steps. And you have joy because in the plan of God for your life, the good works that he's prepared beforehand, there is joy and life, and life more abundant. And as we trust in the confidence of the goodness of God, we say, counsel us, Lord. Give us, your, give us your word so we know where to go. Then it says, everlasting Father. Trusting in the goodness of God is trusting in the goodness of God's plan to be your father and to make us a family. And some of you got the reminder of why hope is on the decline around the dinner table. Uh, some of the fathers here are great, some of them are bad, but the, the reality is, is that every family's broken. And every time we gather, we get reminded of how tense it can all feel and how flawed we all are. And God says, there's hope on the way because I'm coming and I'm the father that you're all made to love. And when I'm your father, then you're adopted into the family of God and you become this family that is built on the love of the father for one another. And it brings us hope that we can reconcile, that we can forgive, that we can show each other mercy, that we can be different than all of the broken families of this world. 
And then it says, the Prince of Peace. Here is this last mark of one of the reasons that you may be feeling the need for this message this morning. You remove God from your aim of hope, and you will see anxiety rise. There's just no getting around the reality that where hope decreases, anxiety is on the rise. We, we want peace. We're made for it. God wants to give it to us. But we won't let him be the prince of peace in our lives. And so hope comes on the scene and says, you want to have hope. You better trust in the goodness of God for every category that he's come to put hope into your life for. He's your king, the government. He's your father, the family. He's your peace, your soul, protected by God. One of the psalms that I love, maybe my favorite psalm, Psalm 27. And it's really a message about hope, although it doesn't say hope in it. But look what King David says when he's thinking about his need for hope. Psalm 27, verse 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That phrase, losing heart, is the antithesis of this entire message. To lose heart, it means you, you don't have any more hope. You look at the circumstance, you read the news, you study the world, and you say, I don't see it, and my heart is gone. I don't see a way out. And, and what changed for David in this song of worship? He said, that would have happened to me unless... I hadn't believed in the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that will restore your hope. It's the confidence that God is good yesterday, today, and forever that will maintain your hope. As I was preparing this message, this verse was like my go-to. I'm like, I know Psalm 27 is definitely going to get in there. So praise God, it did. And so it was really all I had in, uh, in, in my heart. And, and two weeks ago, as you know, I wasn't going to be here because... I got invited to do a couples retreat with FCA Idaho, so excited. And um, it was one of those lose heart, heart moments for me. You guys ever have those moments where I would have lost heart? Or, or should I say, have you had one this week, today? Are you ready for your next one? It's like, I can't believe this happened. I'm done. So my lose heart moment was getting all of my kids ready. We're on our way up to McCall, and everything is like oddly planned for us. It was like perfectly planned. We had a place right next to the retreat where we were going to take our kids. It was Daniela's sister, and Daniela's like, that brings me so much peace to right down the road if anything happens. I'm like, cool. I was thinking that too, kind of. <laughs> and we're, we, we have the whole house ready, so when we come back, it'll be nice and clean, nothing to think about. We're on our way up. We just got to stop to get some food for the kids. There they are right there. It's kind of weird that I'm preaching and talking about you guys. And, and we pull over and we get some food. And the youngest daughter, we're eating, and she's like, I don't feel good. And I'm like, I can see through your lies. <laughs> I, I was thinking she was saying that so that she could go to our bed in the back while we ate. And I'm like, she just wants to get out of her car seat. She's fine. And she's like, oh, I don't feel good. I was like, ah, we're good. We, we're, nothing's going to stop us. And uh, about two minutes later, she didn't feel good <laughs> everywhere was not feeling good. And I was like, no, this isn't the plan. Uh, I don't, uh, okay, that's all right. It's only Friday, the whole week. We have the whole weekend. So we just come home and I was like, put the kids right to bed. We'll wake up early in the morning. We'll do it all again. And so I wake up at 5 a.m. 
I'm ready. I'm, I wake up our little daughter. I'm like, how are you feeling? She's like, uh. I'm like, good enough. Let's go. <laughs> so we're doing it all again. Repeat. And then uh, my other daughter comes up to me and says, I don't feel good. And I'm like, oh, you're fine. And she goes, I don't feel good. And it was everywhere. And there was my moment. It's like, I'm supposed to be at a wedding or a marriage retreat. I'm supposed to be hanging out with my wife and just being poured into and away from kids. And it dawned on me as I was cleaning up there, not feeling well all over, that it was the exact opposite. And by God's grace, infused into my heart was this divide that says, lose heart or trust God. And every one of you is going to walk down the fork of the road. It's like, lose heart or God is still good. And again, God's grace. I'm a weak sinner. The verse just boils over and I'm like, God is up to something. God is doing something. God is good. I have confidence that if God wanted me there, I'd be there, but God must want me here. So I'm here because God's plan is better than my plan because I have confidence in the goodness of God. I have hope that this is all going to make sense. And by God's grace, it was amazing. It was like, there's no plan. We're here. I'm not preaching the weekend, so I've got nothing to do. So we're like going for walks. Me and my wife were cooking together. And, and we cashed in on the promise of God's goodness that day. But that's not always how it happens. Trusting in the goodness of God is not instant gratification. I say that because as we read the prophet Isaiah, the glimmer of hope, the light in the dark, it would take hundreds of years for the Prince of Peace to be born. And as I share the word, the message for you this morning to encourage your heart so that you would not lose heart, I am not sharing a message of instant gratification. And that brings us to the second truth or the second definition of hope. Number two says this, hope is faith in the good ending. Hope doesn't mean the middle is always perfect. Hope believes in the goodness of God as promises are true, yes and amen. Hope believes that God is sovereign and his will will not be thwarted. And hope is especially necessary when your plans go awry. When things happen in your life to remind you of the, the fork in the road. Who are you going to trust? And, and this is the message that Isaiah brings. A message that is pointing people to a future, not a present. He says in verse 7, of his increase, of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. I love that the prophets didn't come with a wishful expectation. When we talk about hope, we're like, man, that would have been nice. I, I hope it works out, and if it doesn't, then I'll just be disappointed. We're talking about hope that's rooted in truth and grounded in specifics and is given over to God. He says it's coming. There's a, there's a throne that God is establishing through the line of David that will go on forever, and when that day comes, it'll never end. And so there's parts of this promise that we still wait for. A never-ending kingdom where God reigns with supreme justice. But that's the end of the story. 
We're still somewhere in the middle in the timeline of God's sovereignty. And it's true of your own life. There are things that you feel hopeless about today. And what you're hearing, or what I want you to hear, is that the story's not over. That part of having confidence in the goodness of God is having faith in the good ending. Because God's endings are always good. He always finishes the story well. As I was preparing for this, I, I heard a thought experiment I'll share with you because it kind of helped me if you're, if, you're, if you're like me, sometimes just a visual. Uh, I want you to think about a monotonous job and you've been given a monotonous job. I, I thought about my own monotony in my career and the most monotonous job I ever had was, was just picking up trash along the freeway. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. It's a great reward. It's helping, you know, save the habitat. But it's also it takes... You know, all day long, you're just like, oh, there's like a tiny, should I get the tiny wrapper? I guess I get everything. You know, it's like, you start talking to yourself and your back hurts. Like, when? Imagine that you had to do that for one year. And for one of you, I say, after the year's end, I'm going to pay you what you're worth. I'm going to give you, you're probably worth about $25,000. So at the end of this, just know that you're going to get a nice sum of money, that your time was not wasted, and you're going to get a little cash for what you did. The second person, I say, listen, you do this, you prove that you can make it through this, I'm going to give you $10 million. <laughs> now imagine those two people find themselves picking up trash together. Can you imagine the different attitudes that they might have? The first person, barely making enough money at the end of the year to pay off his, his bills, is like, this has got to be the worst job of all time. Now imagine what the second person might say. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> This is amazing. When, I, when we get to the end of this, the payoff's going to be so incredible that th there's nothing stopping me. I'm going to be the best in the world. This is the difference between hopelessness and hope. And this is why the message of God always has an alpha and an omega. He has prophecy that he gives to us. He has his word that, that shows us a future for what he has planned. And throughout your life, he's always bringing you along to the storyline that he's working on that you can't quite see yet. To believe in the goodness of the end of the story is to be a person of radical hope. That's what's missing in our world right now. No one knows the plot. No one knows the storyline. No one knows how it's supposed to end, except those who know God. So let me tell you another story. True story, not a thought experiment. This is a person who uh, was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. His name was James Stockdale, and I'll just, his story's short, so I'll read it to you. It says, on September 9th, 1965, Admiral James Stockdale was on his third tour in Vietnam when his plane was shot down. He ejected over a small village and was captured, and he soon became a symbol of great determination. Stockdale spent two years in heavy leg irons and four years in isolation, but he didn't waver. He led the prisoners of war's culture of defiance, finding ways to communicate and govern her prison behavior, and that gave everyone he was with hope. After eight painful years, he was finally released along with several other prisoners on February 1973, and on March 4th, 1976, he received the Medal of Honor at the White House. And he tells his story, it's a great question mark, of how he was able for eight years to lead other prisoners in hope that this wasn't the end of the story, and this is what he said. This is in his book. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. 
I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Wouldn't trade it. This is the kind of confidence in the future that makes God's people different. Because not only are we just waiting with our watches, saying, man, when are we going to get out of here because this is horrible? This is an example of someone who's waiting with such expectation that they are looking for defining moments out of it. You think about how this message hits you. Like all of us, because all of us waver in our hope and all of us waver in, in, in our timeline to see through the, the, the glaring circumstances of despair. Do you believe that whatever is happening in your life right now is not only necessary for God's goodness to be revealed, but will be good for your life? Relationships could be blessed. Families could be built up. Salvation could be produced. Holding on hope, not simply to survive, but to allow it to be a defining moment of his life. Last week we studied in our final run of James chapter 2, faith that works. And Noah did an exceptional job on that, by the way, and he, he referenced Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, as it's often called, because it gives so many pictures of people that were willing to live for God in, 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 in outward expressions of work. We trusted him so much that we'll do things for God. But it's not just to show work. It's not just to do random things. It's every example in Hebrews chapter 11 is with a radical confidence in the end of the story. Read Hebrews 11, not just for examples of faith, but examples of hope. In fact, the author intended you to do that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance, this is what we stand on, what is going to happen. The expectation of what God is going to do is why we have faith. And in the example of Abraham that we looked at last week, we get an example of confidence in the end. It says this, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. God promised Abraham a son. God called Abraham to lay that gift at the altar. And Abraham said, I will. Why? Because the end of the story must be resurrection if you're going to do that. It's the only possible way for you to be a promise keeper. And followers of Jesus... That's the end of the story. You try to save your life, you will lose it. But when you lose your life for the gospel, you're saying, I believe in the end of the story. The gospel is that God conquered death. And he gives you the free gift of life, not because of your works, because of his work. So people ask you in defense, why are you hopeful? This is one of the reasons you say. This is what Peter gave his audience as a defense of their hope. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy had begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not in an ancient text or an ancient story or an ancient promise. Our hope is alive with the power of God to raise life from the grave. 
And so you say, why am I hopeful? I say, because the tomb is empty. You say, well, why, why aren't you worried about the circumstances of life? And I say, because, because the tomb is empty. Because the king came, the king conquered, and the king is returning. And I know as much because the tomb is empty. Because that's the end of the Christmas story. And that is actually the end of your story. There, there's, there's no reason to lose hope because your hope is alive. It can't be taken from you. No angel or man, no death can take your hope. Because your story ends the same way as the Easter story. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will de- descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. Then we who are alive will remain, shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you believe it? I asked that to first service. One in the kindergarten goes, no. I was like, at least you're honest, kid. (laughs) So this is the question of your hope. You all say, yes, I believe it. If you believe it, you have hope. And if you have hope, it's because you believe in the radical end of the full picture of the story of God. And this is why we come to the final definition of hope I offer you this morning. Hope is the courage to never give up. To never lose heart. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 again, but now we read just the final proclamation. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. David says, I would have lost heart unless I believed in the goodness of God. Isaiah says, God will do it. And we say, you started and you finished our faith. God will complete what he started. It says in Philippians that he is faithful to begin the work that he started in your life. There was a follow-up question in the article that I read from from our our, uh, example. James Stockdale was asked, Who didn't make it in eight years, prisoners of war? Not everyone had a story of success at the White House. And he gave this answer. The optimists. They would say, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. What? are you putting your hope in? Many people think it's like, well, this calendar year. I'm here. It's a new year, right? Well, it's Christmas. We, we, it must be, we can all get along because it's Christmas. Well, it's the new president. It's like, can't we get along now? It's, we, got, we got what we were all waiting for, some of us. To be a person who hopes in God is to be a person who waits on God and God alone. There is nothing that will come into your world that will be your savior, but God and God alone. This is in fact what David ends his psalm with in Psalm chapter 27. Wait on the Lord, 
Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. God's will will be done. As C.S. Lewis says, there's two types of people. Those who say, your will be done. Your timeline, your plan, your goodness is my confidence. And then there are those to whom God says, your will be done. And you give God enough stiff arm, and you turn your back enough, and you look to other gods, and you look to other things, and other timelines enough, and he will turn you over. And without God, there is no hope. I can't help but see a picture of that in the world that we live in. A world that is determined to not worship the living God. A world that is determined to rule itself and to make its own plans according to its timelines. And God says, your will be done and your will will not include hope. Because it's not alive. And your tomb, apart from God, will in fact be occupied. So we say, what's the end of the story? Followers of Jesus, the end of the story is that you will meet him face to face. The king is coming. He's coming to this world. Could be today, could be tomorrow. And he's coming into a moment with you to judge your life. That will be the end of the story. We've been appointed once to die and then comes judgment. And there will be two responses. Well done, good and faithful. And faith and hope always overlap. Enter into my rest. Or depart because I never knew you and you never trusted me. Have it your way. So we're people that say, here's what we believe. I remind you these three things and then I pray for you. Hope. God is good. The end is glorious and will never give up. If God is your king, you have this hope. And if he's not your king, receive him today. They say that the king comes in three timelines. He came into a manger, he'll come on the clouds, and he'll come into any heart who opens it with faith that the free gift is by grace into a relationship with him. Why don't we stand and I want to pray a verse over you that I think is the perfect way for us to think about this. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. As Paul is concluding his letter to the Romans, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace by believing that you may be abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, abounding in the goodness of God and your confidence in it, abounding in a trust of the sovereignty of God that he will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called, abounding in determination and endurance, not because you heard a sermon and not because you gripped your teeth or you, you, you gripped your fists and, and clenched your teeth. It's because the power of the Holy Spirit can invade your life. The power of the Holy Spirit can invade your heart and invade your mind and you can see through the glaring circumstances that seem so impossible and you can walk not by sight but by faith in the power of God because of the power of the Holy Spirit.